Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Well, hey, hello. Happy Friday. You made it. We made it. How how are you? You look very concentrated. Yeah, I'm I I'm into this podcast. Aww. I'm excited to get into this episode. Hmm. I am centering myself. I am reaching deep inside. Uh, <laughs> how are you doing? What's happening? <laughs> uh, you know, I was just observing your your zenness yeah, on the I, camera and I really I appreciated am... it. What's the because we talk about a lot of different kinds of games. There's a game right now that I'm playing. Uh, it's interesting. I've found I never used to be a, a person who liked like Hearthstone in these card games, but we've talked okay. about But I've been playing a lot of Slay the Spire. I've been playing cards over and over and over. And I find it very calming. It's very, it's very soothing to kind of mm-hmm. just mindlessly zone out and play these cards over and over and over. What, what's it. a game that makes you kind of like calm and zom and zen out. I almost said zombie out. And but. zombie out. Oh, gosh, well, I've I've mentioned it a couple times before, but always Sayonara Wild Hearts. I do love that. It is very zen. I like it. That gets um, me pumped up, though, man. It's rock and roll. It's Queen it's Latifah. A, it's a pumped up zen. I'll say okay. that. But as Energetic. an actual... As an actual Zen, um, I just I love Stardew Valley. Oh, yeah. It's so calm. I get to go fishing and just uh, pick some fruit and stuff, and then romance Sebastian and live out my fantasies. Um, okay, question. I have a question then because I am trying to figure out what game I should play next, and Stardew Valley is the one at the top of my list. But I'm scared that I won't have a life that I'll just get so addicted to it. <laughs> is that going to be what happens? Well. I will say Katie Nolan did have a very extensive like journal basically. Oh so yes, the, the spreadsheets. If that gives you any indication of how much time might be soaked up by this, um, just you know what you're getting into. Okay, all right. Now see, I will say, now you didn't ask for my opinion, but I'm going to give it to you. Um, I don't neither, know neither one of us Do you want, did, can actually. I, can I <laughs> ask, can, may I give you my opinion? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Just as a counterpoint, I find games like Stardew Valley rage inducing. Oh. Uh-huh. Because here's the thing I find games where I have to do stuff for other people infuriating it it infuriates me i'm like i should just go start a farm i should romance a sebastian in my own life it's kind of akin to like in a game i'm picking flowers in red dead redemption and there is a point when i'm playing that and i'm just like why am i not picking these why am i not going outside and picking these flowers and i start to get angry at myself and i start hating the character for so, picking flowers stardew valley let me see if i get this straight stardew valley when you play it it makes you start to hate yourself because you don't actually have a farm. That's correct. This could this could all be remedied by you getting a farm. Exactly. The solution Gosh. there is to just become a farmer. From your lips to God's ears, I'm working on getting a farm. Here's my other question. 
So with Stardew Valley, is it the the way I'm envisioning it is you have to keep up with it. So is it basically like a Tamagotchi? Because that stresses me out. Okay. Oh, is okay. it? Well, See, Jen, I'm glad you well, brought this up. So I'm glad you, you brought do have this to, up. Well, it's like life. You have to tend to your crops, tend oh, to your, your garden. So just don't make the garden too big. Okay. Rage building. Because that's truly the only thing holding me back every time I'm about to buy it. I feel like this is going to be like a Tamagotchi that I just have to take care of at all times. Oh, commitment. Kind of. So the, the, your commitment issues. Yeah. So it's my commitment issues holding me back from playing Stardew Valley. But on the flip side of that, maybe it'll help with your commitment issues. Maybe you should play Stardew Valley because it'll kind of be like, you know what? I can tend this giant garden. Maybe I should go. I don't know. What even takes commitment? I'm, I have no idea. I have no personal responsibility. Maybe I should, uh, you know. Start a farm. Yeah, adopt an elephant or something. Maybe I should just get another Tamagotchi. Okay. I think that's honestly your solution. Just skip Stardew Valley, go right into another Tamagotchi. Great. Thank you. Hey, guys, I got eight Tamagotchis here. She's like constantly hitting the buttons and like doing the things. Yeah, great. I don't know how we wandered down this rabbit hole, but I will say it's interesting because I think today's guest is dealing with issues of life and death and epic tales of both power and honestly commitment. He is the dungeon master of the gold standard of Dungeons and Dragons. We all know it, we all love it. Critical Role, one of my favorite web series of all time. And also, can we just say he voiced characters in games like Overwatch, Fortnite, Fallout 4, and Fire Emblem. Uh, He pulls the strings of the puppets and then he also is a puppet himself as we all are. Please welcome our amazing interview with the one and only Matthew Mercer. I just want to dive in. In the last however many years, I feel like it truly has been the rise of the nerd in the, you know, between Twitch and between esports <laughs> and like everything else in between. And I literally cannot think of a better example than that, than Critical Role. Yes. Genuinely. Amazing. Amazing. The tip of the spear, for sure. <laughs> if if by, you know, the person holding the spear is plunging into an unknown dark and going, where am I going? I don't know. What's <laughs> happening? Then sure, I'll take it. You know, Sonny and I were just uh, talking a little bit. I mean, you know, Critical Role is, it's insane to think about the juggernaut that is this show and you at the center and as the creator of it, it's Bananas. I, you know, I was watching the last episode last week. Mm-hmm. 76,000 people are concurrently watching you guys live. Does it blow your mind? Do you ever step back and be like, what? This is incredible. Like, what? you know. It's absolutely surreal. I, I don't know by what uh, being at the right place at the right time with the right skill set with the right people led to this particular lightning in a bottle circumstance. But uh, we are just... We're holding on to it and trying to guide the rocket and hoping, hoping we don't fuck it up. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the whole thing. There's no precedent for it. We're just, there's no like preset line of here's how you make this work. We're blindly going into the dark with a spear, if you will. And, yeah. uh, and just trying desperately not to mess it up. And every now and then take a step back and be like, how is this happening? <laughs> Can you take us back? Do you remember like the original pitch? Uh, uh, what your pitch was and kind of how that came about? Yeah, it wasn't even our pitch, actually. We, um, you know, I've been playing D&D and other role-playing games since high school. It's a big part of what got me into acting and just a a big part of me kind of coming into my own as a person. Yeah. And uh, 
but it's been a lot harder to get other people into it through the years because there's weird misconceptions about how the games play and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of a weird stigma for a long time of saying into a public space, like, yeah, I play D&D. So, yeah, uh, it wasn't until recent years that I got, you know, more and more friends into it and we'd play privately. And this group that became Critical Role, most of them had never played before. And we got together on a lark for one of their birthday, somebody who played when they were very young and hadn't played a long time, my friend Liam. And so I was like, I'll run a one shot. And we got some of these folks together that we all knew professionally, but you know, we're, we're friends, you know, somewhat and thought we just do the one, the one game. Immediately they were hooked. And so we kept playing (laughs) two, two years playing in private at home. And one of our players, Ashley Johnson, who does a lot of video games, you know, she's Ellie in last of us and a number of television film stuff. She's amazing. She was doing a project for Geek and Sundry with Felicia Day and I guess was mentioning her home D&D group of voice actors. And Felicia was the one that went, well, I'm starting a Twitch stream. You guys should do it live online. So they actually came to us originally about it. And we were hesitant. Why? Why? Because in theory, why would anybody watch a bunch of people for three to four hours roll dice in silly voices and make believe? (laughs) Uh, That sounds like exactly the thing the internet would hate. (laughs) Uh, and, and because it's something that's so personal for us that we love, it was the basis of a lot of our like burgeoning friendships getting stronger. And, you know, I didn't want, a lot of us didn't want to invite the internet to come at that with pitchforks and torches and, you know, dox us and make it hell. So we had to really think about it and we figured we'd give it a shot. We'd give it a few weeks. If it doesn't pan out, then we'll just go back home. Like nothing ever happened. Uh, and that didn't happen. It just kind of continued to snowball and it's just been one, one realization after the next going, Oh God, what do we do? Uh, Oh, all right. I guess this is happening now. Wait, what? We're going to, I, ah! so yeah, that's, that's, it's, it's been just absolutely wild. And now, I mean, here you are spawned off into two campaign books, animated series and spending time with incredible friends, voice actors, and just, it's incredible. I have to say, like, one thing you kind of hit upon, you know, I, I played d and I found it in high school as well. Mm-hmm. And we would play, you know, every Friday night with my friends. I think one thing you hit upon that I think is really interesting for people who haven't played D&D is the friendship piece and kind of how it teaches you a lot about yourself. You, you know, like, like, what are some things you have learned that Matt Mercer has learned about himself through D&D? Oh, many things. Uh Initially, it, it gave me a voice as a kind of introverted kid. You know, I Ooh, I, yeah. I tended to not speak up in public spaces and kind of just wallflower a lot. And through role-playing games, I learned to be a little more confident with my choices as a person and public speaking in general. Um, it taught me how to create personas and then jump into them and perform them as like NPCs or characters in my campaign, which led to my interest in theater and then becoming an actor. It also taught me how to how to really listen and collaborate, you know, mm. uh, so much of, especially American society really cultivates the idea of the individual and, you know, you're the hero of your own story. Anyone gets in your way, fuck them. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's a problematic thing in a lot of ways. And I think role-playing games as a collaborative experience teaches you that every person has a skill set to bring to the table and only through working together can you really accomplish all of your goals. 
And uh, to do so, especially to, to do something that is fulfilling for everyone at the table, you have to listen, you have to support each other. And when you do succeed, you all succeed together. When you fail, you all fail together. And that is just such a wonderful bonding experience for everyone at the table. Like to your point, the people you play these games with, it's, you're really hard pressed in most games to not become closer friends through it. So I'm, I'm very thankful. It, it taught me a lot about who I wanted to be, the kind of people I wanted to be around, and kind of, uh, I don't know, the, the power of inspirational storytelling. To yes. Me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's absolutely beautiful. And especially when you're spending, um, you know, so much time with each other. It's been, <laughs> this last campaign is is co coming to 141 episodes. Yeah, that is. It's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. As a, as a, as an indoor kid, a very uh, outwardly professed indoor kid, um, there was there was no experience wilder to me than being in a theater, like a, a multi thousand seat theater, of people, and to have somebody at a table playing make believe with their friends, roll a clutch natural twenty, and then have everyone just rise to their feet in a roar, <laughs> like on par with sporting events almost. I believe it. And and to your point, Sonia, like. Yeah, th this is the rise of the nerd. You know, if 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 this can garner that sort of excitement and communal joy of experience um, with a bunch of other indoor kids like myself, like that, that's amazing to me. And like, I'm getting goosebumps now just recounting it. And so I, d I do miss that about live shows tremendously. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. It's so emotional because it is one of these things where you guys are actually playing these pieces. Do you find that like, do you find yourself holding back at all if you're like, oh, my God, like I've got to kill this person or this is this is going to be bad what they're wandering into. Like, there's there's always a sense of kind of that urge to hold back because you don't, right. you know, it's and for some people, I'm sure it's different experience. You know, I don't relish in the sadistic if the players aren't ready for it, you know, because at the bottom of it, they're still my friends. And I still yes. the, the goal of this is for everyone to have a good time together. But if if you have that trust then you can kind of relish it a bit because you know that they're going to appreciate that challenge. They're going to, yeah. they're going to meet you on that, that narrative, you know, like having a character die in a campaign can be a very tragic. Uh, and some people, if they're not ready for it, uh, not a very positive experience in which it's, it, you know, part of your collaborative goal is to find a narrative way to perhaps usher the story in a way to bring them back. You know, if you're playing a game with somebody and they really, they've worked through trauma with a character they've been role playing or there's a, it's become a, a, a important part of them getting through a hard time in their life and then the character dies and they're not able to they're not ready to process that grief yet mm -hmm. then like i would create an immediately or pretty quickly create an aspect of the story where there is a thread of hope that perhaps they could you know do the classic trip to hell to recover the soul and sure. bring them back you know but when you have players like talus and jaffe who i've known for close to 20 years now who relishes in the drama of loss and the players at the table that are willing to to embark on that journey then yeah it's a hard choice but you trust that the players are going to pick it up and make something beautiful out of it and they really have mm -hmm. oh my god in in incredible truly truly i guess reflecting back on, I keep saying it, but it is just astonishing, 141 episodes. Do you have um, like peak moments that, uh, I don't know, that are cherished for you or just special moments that you, you'll carry with you after? Oh man, uh, yeah. I mean, when, when a, a certain character died earlier in the campaign, it was so unexpected. We had just moved into a new studio that we were like oh. christening with our first you know, episode streaming from there. Oh no. It was this like, like all this celebration and, and positive energy going into this. And then this character dies. And it was like, 
we couldn't help but kind of laugh in the moment because it was it was are you are you kidding me? This, are, you can't make this shit up. And so it became it, that to me is as sad as it was in the story was such a, a wonderful example of how the randomization of dice and these systems are creation tools for stories. And what makes it exciting is you don't know what's going to happen next based on the fate that unfolds before you. And if you just roll with it, it can be a really exciting and, and really fulfilling experience. And so for that, even though it was a character death, it, I still cherish everything that came out of it and the stories that came out of that down the line. Um, also, anytime the players really surprised me. You know, my job, and for those who haven't watched the show, like, it's not a scripted series. There aren't, like, beats that everyone's aware of that we're trying to hit. You know, I do my preparation on my end, which is mostly just trying to flesh out the world a bit so they, I can feel comfortable that if they go in directions I don't expect, I have something ready. And if they go in directions I don't expect, at least I can make some stuff up in that space that makes <laughs> logistical sense in the world I've already established. But often the players, even with my highest expectations, will make choices or things will happen that are so out of the realm of what I could have possibly considered that I'm left flying by the seat of my pants for hours at a time, live on the internet. And it is, it is stressful, it is exhilarating, it is... It is, it is fantastic, and it, tr it radically alters the story as I was expecting it to go, perceivably, for months or longer, and all of a sudden, everything just kind of has to take a new direction. And so there's been a few moments in the campaign where that's happened, that in the moment, I'm sweating bullets, but, <laughs> but thereafter, in hindsight, I'm just super proud of them, and I'm super excited to see what's going to happen next. Is there is there a moment that sticks out in your mind, either from this campaign or the previous campaign, of like, uh oh, oh no, they're oh they're doing this. Okay, yeah, let's. So now you guys are in this. There's a portal, you know. Like, there's a few. Uh, yeah. In the, in this most recent campaign, just the, the off the top of my head, there was one moment where they were trying to hunt down an individual to get information in this like dock, and they were like pursuing this small thread, uh, this nighttime dock area where like these kind of pirate merchants were putting stuff onto the ship. And what was initially supposed to be kind of, I guess, a, a, an intel gathering mission gradually got out of hand. It turned into a fireball blast on the ship. Uh, and Jesus. suddenly they killed most of the crew and then just took the ship and went off into the ocean. And we oh, went God. from like <laughs> went from what was going to be this kind of shoreline intrigue, you know, pursuit along this the Menagerie Coast area turned into a pirate adventure for the next few months. Wow. <laughs> I feel like you you weave some very uh, intricate and incredible threads, <laughs> and I think you know that's you. the the beauty in the in the collaborative effort too is is just you're so incredible at world building and creating this sandbox for you know these incredibly talented uh, voice actors and everyone to kind of play within. And I I guess I really want to know I guess for you for somebody who's been doing this and it's their bread and butter uh, for so long, what makes a good DM? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, I could have a long talk about this, but I'll, I'll give you some quick ones. <laughs> a large part of DMing to me is, is just logicking out the outcome of choices. Okay. And the preparation, whether you spend hours building an intricate world or you're just making it up off the cuff, you know, with a couple of bullet points and ideas, a lot of what you're doing is presenting conflicts or challenges or moments to the players and then they make their decisions and choices sometimes that involves a dice roll as to whether or not it succeeds or fails but then what you're doing is just listening and then logicking out the outcome so as, as a dm you have to be one willing and flexible 
to let those directions go anywhere and kind of ride with the players the the the, the insanity that will unfold. Um, but a lot of the job is just going, okay, you rolled that number, you were trying to do this. Logic in my mind says this would probably be the outcome. And so the more preparation you do, the more comfortable you are in that space, if you're not a trained improviser or really good at necessarily, is just enough preparation to feel like you can follow the logic of the world you've built. You know, if someone goes, if someone goes to a, a diplomat and wants to try and lie, deceive them about something, and they roll really low, based on how you built the world, it might be kind of a you know, a darker, more morally gray space where even they, the noble might deceive a lot and might actually be, you know, kind of respecting them for their choice. Sure, yeah. Or yeah. if it's a very stringent place where such things look down upon, that might put them in a very, very serious bit of hot water and they can end up being, you know, arrested by the guards. So those are the kind of logic choices you make in the world building that inform how the direction will go. Um, honestly, other recommendations are listening and following the player's path. I know there's been a long history of, of people who run games trying to force a narrative, trying yes. to, like, mm -hmm. I, I prepared this and we're going to play it. And if you deviate, I'm not going to let you and I'm going to push you back onto my path, <laughs> which is fine. But they, that it, it, it absolves all of you of the magic of what these games really allow, which is not knowing what's going to happen next and, and following it when it goes wild. Yeah. Um, so be open and comfortable and know that even if your choices you're making as a DM may not be the strongest or the best, as long as it's following what the players are excited about, you're all going to have fun at the end of the session. In, in terms of, you know, like Sonia is saying, world building these things, what influences you? I tend to enjoy, honestly, non-fantasy narratives. I, I love fantasy. I, I grew it. up on it. I, I've, yeah. I've watched Lord of the Rings movies a billion times and I do like them on occasion. But cross-genre stories, I think, are, are are fascinating ways to pull in narratives that aren't often associated with the genre. There's only so many swords and sorcery hero tales of, like, you know, the young kid whose parents were killed by monsters grows up and gets a magic sword and goes yeah. and, and the king says, go off and defeat the bad guy and his magical weapons and you climb the tower and defeat the lich. And, you know, that's fine. And, and you can make that interesting. But it's when you start going into... Uh, you know, political noir, when you start leaning into uh, dark documentaries about the real world, when you start leaning Ooh. into uh, psychological horror, when you start going into all these different other genres of media out there and video games, of course, there are so many great games out there that take these genres even further because you are in control of the narrative and get to experience it live. Those are all things I think that help me figure out what is a unique way to come at the fantasy genre and make it something that is wholly new and fresh for both myself and the players, and in doing so, also the audience. Are there games that you've been hanging on to and waiting to to dive into or that you didn't have time before? Or Oh, yeah, no. Um, oh, what's on your list? Let's see. I still haven't played God of War, the most recent oh. one a few years ago. Okay. Nothing but amazing things, but that's been on my, like, my stack of things I haven't got to in a while. Does not disappoint. It does yeah. not disappoint. Um, I do really want to just replay Bloodborne because I just love that game and <laughs> it's the best. Um, Stardew Valley has well. the new expansion uh, recently, the the new uh, patch with Ginger Island that me and my wife want to dive into really badly. That That's for more of the downtime at the end of the day. Let's just go out yes. there and explore a bit together. Um, <laughs> I am also, well, I haven't had a lot of time. I was roped into Final Fantasy XIV, the MMO, the online one, Ooh, in recent months. And uh, it's been really fun for the time that I haven't <laughs> been able to spend in it. So 
uh, as a long time lifelong fantasy Final Fantasy fan specifically, it's a lot of it is just a nostalgic love letter to people like me. So, and the writing is really good. I've played a, a lot of MMOs over the years, and you know, the writing can vary from you know <laughs> decent to middling to. I, I get it. You want me to, to get experience points and level up. All right, cool. Um, but Final Fantasy XIV does some really, really interesting things and really takes some swings at what you expect of the genre. And um, it's been really exciting. So yes. that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and also, you you know, you've done uh, so much great uh, also like voice work, you know, especially mm-hmm. like even like Leon, I think, in, in Resident Evil 6, mm-hmm. which we did. Uh, I did with Conan for a clueless gamer, which made us laugh. Like, yeah, I remember that. Good job. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we're never dying, dying laughing. That was so much fun. And also, McCree, obviously. What what are some uh, roles that you would love to dig into in the future? Like, some, oh, I would love to do this or be a part of this franchise. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you would love to do a voice in Stardew Valley if that ever, if they ever start to. Oh, yeah. Well, if that ever came out, that'd be great. Oh, jumping off the Final Fantasy fan. Um, if, if ever there's the chance to audition for Vincent Valentine in the Final Fantasy VII remake future installments, like I, I missed the boat on Sephiroth, uh, circumstantially, which makes me sad, but Vincent's, uh, uh, another beloved character of mine in that. And I think kind of fits in my, my vocal timber. So if that opportunity <laughs> arises, I wouldn't Ooh. mind being the red vampire. Yes. Um, so that'd be fun. Uh, Oh uh, yeah, I mean that 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 that's the top one for me there, just for personal nostalgia's sake. Um, otherwise, I would love to be involved in a, a Dragon Age game, um, another great game series that I've skimmed around but not quite, you know, gotten involved with from a professional level. Um, really, really, any long form narrative that allows the opportunity to explore and have choice impact and affect the story and the character relationships, that to me I love. I grew up on the you know, the Baldur's Gate series and and Mass Effect and, and Dragon Age. And there, there's something about, as an actor, being able to, to not just portray a character and the lines of dialogue in a game, but really get to explore the branching narratives, being able to see what would happen if they're romanced by the player character, being able to experience what happens if you end up pissing them off and they leave, what happens if you get to follow through their optional personal storyline and get to see what really makes them tick as a character. You know, that's the real love of, as a voice actor for video games, is being able to to explore these facets of characters that in, you know, general film and television narrative, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a one path. There isn't a yeah. lot of branching possibilities there. So I- Very true. I, I think- you know, mainstream RPGs like that, that really kind of jump into that space. I would love to get involved with. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. It does feel like a golden age of of entertainment, both like TV wise, movie wise with MCU. And also, you know, even speaking of critical role, you know, like 
the the thing is, it, it's wild to me that that you and the and the the players of Critical Role have basically taken a form of entertainment and made it popular. Like that, you've created a cultural touchstone, a la Black Mirror. Oh man! When anyone is trying to explain D and D to anyone else, they always say, you know, like Critical Role. Like that's the thing. That's so wild to me. Still, isn't that amazing? Like, <laughs> it's how, so weird. like what a testament to your skills. Like, yeah. On that note, too, I guess how can people um, get into it? Like, what would your tips for people starting out? How to, uh, you know connect with people in that way, how to create like a regular game going. I, any tips for people to get in and start? Totally. Uh, it's the, the toughest part for years was just getting people to understand what it was. I can't tell you how many events or, or like you know, urge to tell people like, I, I, I play D&D and, and most people be like, how, how does that work even? And you're like, well, you make a character and you, you know, their personality traits, but like they have a class with abilities and, and you, you kind of, there's a DM who runs and you roll dice you know what? Never mind. I'm going to go home. Like it's just it was it was hard to convey <laughs> in a way where most people could gather it without actually playing it. So now that live play uh, broadcasts are available on all different genres and all different tabletop games, uh, if somebody really loves high fantasy, they can watch many live play games like us and others. If they like hard fantasy, or hard sci-fi, there's streams out there that play systems and games in that realm. And then by watching this, it helps immediately tell yeah. you what this is about. And more often than not, the reaction is, oh. That's not at all what I thought it was. That actually looks really fun. Maybe I should try this out. And so from there, the tips are find a genre that you're very invested in and have friends that would be excited to try it out. Find a rule set that is, you know, to a degree lauded, uh, whether it be researching online or through mutual friends can ask around, but something that, that fits that realm and then ask around and find some friends or find some people online even, though that can be like anything found on the internet, a bit of a crapshoot for the personalities uh, that can find their way there. But but that the hardest part is just getting the people together. Um, but now thanks to things like Zoom and you know online conversations like this are so much easier to have. And you saw during the pandemic, even more tabletop game groups were spawning out of necessity uh, to, to connect and communicate. So uh, for me, the, the, the big things are looking into what kind of game you want to play, find the right game system to tell the stories you want to play through, and then find the people that you want to engage with and carefully, you know, casually pull them in. Because if you throw it all at them at once, if they're not experienced gamers, it can be it can be too much and kind of spook them off. I've done that myself. I know I've been there. <laughs> so try, try and be cool about it. Have a conversation on a table. Make characters with, you know, beer and chips with some nice music on and make it make it silly and fun and who knows might, might grow out of it. I feel like we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but <laughs> unfortunately our time is almost up very, very sadly. But uh, Matt, we'd like to end every interview with uh, asking our guest their least favorite game and their most favorite game. Okay. It's not the, it's not the worst video game that exists. But maybe the one that you find most frustrating, that you had a personal experience that you despised. Okay, yeah. The for me, like I've played many bad games, uh, and <laughs> oh, yeah. but there are like so there are bad games that are that you know are bad going in, or you like yes. you're like this might be bad, and then it's bad, and you're like, all right, you were you were bad, you should feel yeah. ashamed of yourself, go home, you know. <laughs> it's it's the ones that are bad in in spite of the promise that really kind of get to me, mm. and there've been a lot of those too. The heartbreakers, um, the heartbreakers. Yeah. But the one that broke my heart in a way that 
that still to this day, whenever I think about it, I, I get angry. Is an, is a PlayStation One JRPG called Beyond the Beyond? Oh no! It was it was it, the reason I was so angry is because I grew up playing Japanese RPGs and just RPGs in general on on you know SNES, uh, NES, every other system I could find. And when the PlayStation launched, there was like I was waiting for the first like real PlayStation RPG to hit, like yes. JRPG. Like there's gonna be one. I can't wait to see what it does. And and for me, that was beyond the beyond. It came out before Wild Arms did. It came out before, before Final Fantasy VII did, and a lot of other RPGs that were actually pretty good. But this one came out, and I was like, hell yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> and, I mean, we spoke earlier about hackneyed fantasy narratives. Uh, this was nothing but. Uh, oh, it was boy. not a well-balanced game. The combat system was trash. Uh, the characterizations were piss poor and weak. Oh God! The, the game had a a game breaking bug where if you got to a certain point in the story where you got to a narrative dungeon crawl, there was like a pretty good chance that you couldn't progress past it. Like oh. on when it came out, you just like you cool. play through countless hours of the game and then get to a dungeon and you're just like, why can't I find the exit? And it's like, oh, because oh, it's not there. Because oops. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh. Punishing. It was one of the few games that I beat out of spite. <laughs> like, like I wouldn't let it defeat me. It was awful. Top to bottom, the, the experience just, just felt like trudging through the snow uphill the entire time. Wow. But I would not let this game beat me. So I, I beat it you. and put it away. I still have it with my memory card, my piece of memory card <laughs> with my save on it. So I had proof that I can look back on in my days of retirement and be like, I still won. Like chuck it into the ocean or something. I fuck that game. Uh, was there a moment playing it that you're just like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There the I mean, there are a number, but the one that really got me was the final boss. Oh. The final boss, which you think would be like, hell yeah, final boss. Final. This is gonna be where they put everything in. I, I can vaguely remember what he looked like. He looked like some weird monster with a face in the stomach or something. And you're like, Very okay. Krang. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it had this one, it did its first attack, which was like soul blast level one or something. And it like did a bunch of damage. And I'm like, all right, cool. Next round. Soul blast level one. Okay. All right. That's, yeah, that's like his face. Soul. Does he only have one attack? Yes. He has like one attack that he just does every round, every round. And at that point I was like, okay, yeah, they, they were just rushing to get this out of the door on time. Like they didn't give a shit. Uh, and then it ended. The best part was it ended in a cliffhanger to set up a sequel. And I was like, oh, you cheeky, you cheeky sons of bitches. <laughs> Bold of you to happen. assume I'm playing the sequel. <laughs> right. Beyond the beyond the beyond is the sequel. <laughs> Even further beyond. Beyond the oh. scope of my interest. Yeah, beyond the scope. Yeah, see, there you go. Beyond me caring furious. at all. all right, well, so what's the, what's the best game? What's the best? What's the best? Oh, it's a, such a tough choice because I like so many games for different reasons. Yeah. If I had, if I still had to say the one... Oh, man. This is hard. That's a heavy sigh. Big sigh heavy move. Side. Yeah, because they're... Because there are there are objectively games that have come out in recent years that are objectively better games. We've we've gotten better at storytelling Absolutely. and and you know not just graphically, but but it's a format and experience. But I still think probably probably Final Fantasy VI on the Super Nintendo was one of those games that was at the right time in my youth. And while Final Fantasy VII had a huge impact on me as well, I it was six for what it was for how it pushed the limits of the SNES at the time to really tell 
a a deep story, the writing and the music on a 16-bit game with these little sprite characters, but still in your mind's eye, you were drawn into it and, you know, tearful when Celeste, after the world was set to ruin, throws herself off the ocean cliff because she thinks there's nothing left to live. There's the opera sequence where, you know, sets her in his airship, comes in to try and and take her and the fight Ultros. There's the whole throwdown with Kefka, the main villain of, of the game, who is just this, this insidious clown of a villain, an evil fuck that just... <laughs> His, his ascension to it, honestly, a lot of it was kind of a, a subtle inspiration for the end of Campaign 2 Whoa. in Critical Role. With like like Lucian and all that crazy? Like, yeah, like a, a lot of, of, of Lucian, like Lucian, visually, yeah. and some of that 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 visual uh, inspiration came from Final Fantasy VI. Like that game profoundly affected me as a kid wow. to this day. Uh, and it's funny to look back and see how, you know, the little sprites look and the graphics, you would think that's pretty bad. But you go and play it and you realize the heart was so so strong in that game that it broke through all the limitations and I still to this day have visceral reactions to some of the music and the soundtrack oh, like yeah. the, it just oh. hits me in waves and I just start tearing up in the car like some some jackass on the road being like <laughs> yeah that I, I have to it's so it's so interesting you say that because it's like that exactly is what we were talking about with stories being told around a campfire and why mm -hmm. live play and role-playing games are so visceral because there is something about simplicity and just a great story, a great narrative, uh, emotional stakes, you know, being in it. And you don't need graphics. You don't need crazy sweeping orchestral scores. You don't need all these things. You know, it's the heart. You just need heart. And like those two things, you know, really connect and provide such amazing memories for us, you know, moving yeah. forward. Like, mm -hmm. unreal. Completely agreed. And um, and the games that do still come out with heart to these days. And uh, honestly, a lot of indie games yes. in recent mm -hmm. years have really, really gone, like, the limitations aren't limitations. They're the boundaries that allows us to really explore unique narratives. And uh, I I can't tell you how many of the, the indie, low-end, quote-unquote, games that a lot of communities might scoff at have have some been some of the most impactful in recent years. So I, I love that trend. I love that we're stepping a little bit away from the triple A Call of Duty top notch graphics. Yeah. You know, is the is all that matters, and <laughs> people are beginning to step back and to embrace things like Life is Strange, oh, which is such yeah. a a beautiful story that uh, doesn't rely on you know incredible graphics, just incredible writing, incredible performances, and a really unique story that you get to stumble through alongside. And yeah. Story over everything for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Uh, Matt Mercer, thank you so much. What a thrill. This was fantastic. This is a joy. Absolute joy. My pleasure. Thank you both so much for having me on. I've, I've been fans for some time and it's really cool to, to come in here and, and, and chat story with you. Yes. Well, thank you so much to Matt Mercer for stopping by and chatting with us for all things Critical Role, giving some advice to some awesome future DMs and everything in between. And make sure if you have not checked out Critical Role, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, you can twitch.tv slash Critical Role. It's rare that I get starstruck, but that was really mm -hmm. cool. And also, can I just say... In the running for best voice we've had on the podcast. Oh my gosh, it's high noon. I whisper that into my ear. That's it. I want McCree in my ear. That's all. What about me? How is this? How's this McCree impression? Uh, hey, it's high noon. No, okay. You're just, okay. That's uh. You know what? We're just we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, I'm gonna apologize profusely, and we'll be right back.
Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Welcome back. If Blaze Impression didn't uh, cast you away, I'm glad you've stuck around because uh, not too long ago, we did get some incredible E3 news that I have to, I just got to talk about. So what were some stuff that you, that you found the most exciting uh, from E3, or as I call it, E. That's three E's in a row. <laughs> Come on. That's uh, a good dad I'll joke. Give it to That's you. a good dad joke. I'll give it to you. Uh, Well, honestly, the biggest thing that I was wanting and craving for, I wanted some more Starfield stuff. We got a little more Starfield juice, so I'm excited for that. And on my wish list was also Forza Horizon 5, which was kind of expected, but I'm happy. Uh, We got a release date November 9th, so super stoked about that. Um, Halo Infinite. I haven't jumped back into a Halo for a while, so it's going to be coming out this year. And I was super stoked to hear that the uh, the multiplayer is going to be free to play. Yeah. So we can all jump back in, get some capture the flag. I'm very excited. Um, but something kind of like off the beaten path that I wasn't. Um, we got a little bit of it, I think maybe last E3 or something like that. But uh, 12 minutes. It's this like top down interactive thriller. And it's this guy that's stuck in a time loop. Ooh, love a good time loop. We love you a good I love time, a time loop. loop. And I'm not kidding. I do love time loops. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I feel like it's something that you would be really interested I, yeah, in. Yeah, so um, yeah, it just, it looked really different and I'm really excited. And now we have a release date, August 19th. So can I say a thing? You know, I, there's a game I have been waiting uh, to, to come out, I played it at PAX West. And a lot of times when you go to these video game conventions or E3, or as I call it, ee, you get to play games that maybe are, maybe are, are going to take years to come out. I remember mm-hmm. playing Gang Beasts years and years and years ago. It's a really cool time loop game where, so it's 1v1. So you and I are playing against each other, okay? And it's a capture the flag is what is idea. So the flag is in the middle of this arena, Okay. And it's a first-person shooter. So we're each a first-person FPS player. Each person has a gun or whatever. And so you have basically like 10 seconds. And what you're trying to do is have the most time in the circle. So you have, let's say, 10 seconds. And we each go towards the center. We're trying to kill each other. And then it resets. And then you play it again with another character, but the first players are still there. Ugh. <laughs> so you can set things up. So like, maybe I don't go straight for the circle. I go to the side and just shoot into the circle, knowing that you're, that means I'm defending against your next move. <sighs> That's and so it goes funny. till it's four versus four. Oh my so there, God. there is four loops of me playing against four loops of you. It was really, really cool. And I believe it was uh, a French team, a French, I might be wrong, but the devs, uh, and I talked to them for for a brief minute, but it was such a cool 
loop game. And I, I, I'm really hoping it comes out sometime soon. Oh, man, me too. Again, we know that you love a good loop. So I love a good time loop. Love Loop Hero is really fun. That's a there fun kind of grindy game. Uh, very Zen-like, you know. There you go. Death Loop coming out in September. There's a lot. You, it's the year of the loop. You're gonna year have of the loop. So much coming ahead. Absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm sure we'll we'll fit, uh, you know, Ring Fit in there somewhere. I mean, it has a physical <laughs> loop. But I guess it doesn't really count. But uh, you know, it's a stretch. But we're inclusive of all loops. And that's, all loop. <laughs> that's totally fine. <laughs> What if we were to make a loop game? What would be the loop game we would want to make? Blay, if we were going to make a loop game, yes, I would like to put forth one quick suggestion, and we can definitely integrate the podcast into this. Oh, I can't wait to hear what this is. It's just us looping through fifteen minutes of the same bit of a podcast, but something is just slightly different every single time. Like you, you hit the mic. I st- I talk to too far into the mic there's one technical issue every single time and we just constantly loop and we have to fix it right because that's Mm -hmm. the whole thing in groundhog day is he has to be a better person Mm -hmm. it's like and and harold ramis who you know directed that movie and i think helped write with bill murray said in his mind bill murray is caught in that day for like hundreds of years and i will say i know don't lie to me I know some of these recordings you do with me, it does feel hundreds of years long. And it's okay. I'm sorry about that. I, it's just time flies when you're having fun. And it crawls when you're not. And look, I get it. I get it. I get it. And you're stuck in a Blay loop. And I apologize for that. No need to apologize. I, um, I, I'm in it. I'm in it for the, for the loop. What would you call it? What would you call this loop that we're stuck in? It's called a bloop. And you're stuck uh, in the bloop. I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm stuck in the bloop. And, you're, in, uh, you're in this bloop. And uh, you know there's what? There's nothing I can do. <laughs> That's, there's nothing you can do. There's no way out. There's no way out. And I'm taking you all with me. That's Every right. listener, you are. I'm taking you with me. Death is not an escape from the bloop. No, nobody escapes You just start right back. You know what it is? <laughs> if you if you were to on your deathbed, you're going to be like, oh, I got out of the bloop. And then you're going to wake up to that first meeting we had in the Team Coco <laughs> conference room. And you'd be like, oh. Uh, and I'll be like, anyway, like I was saying, yeah. So we what do you think? Do this you know, podcast podcasts. together. You'll be like, oh my god, wait, what the fuck? No. <laughs> and then it just goes bloop. That's it. Exactly. Here is the uh, end of the bloop to start again at the next uh, the next episode. There we go. All right. Well, if you're not sick of uh, being stuck in this bloop, we will see you next time, hopefully. And I guess that's it for this. <laughs> So if you do have any questions, video game requests, or if you find out the keyword to get us out of this bloop, um, please let us know at Good Game Nice Try on Twitter or use hashtag GGNT. And hopefully we will see you all next time. You can also use hashtag bloop. <laughs> Good Game Nice Try is produced by Jen Samples and Nick Liao. Our executive producers are Joanna Salataroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross, engineering by Will Beckton with engineering and sound design by Chester Guazda, talent booking by Paula Davis, Gita Batista, and Britt Kahn. Special thanks to Sean Doherty. Music by John Damick. Damn, Damn it! it. <laughs> that's Just the like, one thing that's wrong in this blue. That's it. Music by John Danick. This has been a Team Coco production.
love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.